0: 是 <laughs> What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. Best case, worst case, episode two of the 2023 college football season. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, or Spotify. Leave a review, send me emails, big 10 talk at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, Big Ten Football Talk The Handle. Make sure you keep it locked in because aside from best case, worst case, there is a lot of smoke with things going down, more conference realignment happening, Colorado going to the Big 12 from the Pac-12. Make sure you keep it locked in here because I will make sure to cover all the shenanigans that are happening in the college football world in the next few weeks. But this is best case, worst case. And because of that, we're going to take a look at the next grouping of teams, the projected sixth best teams in each division, according to Phil Steele. Not according to the Big Ten media, because the Big Ten media just met and shared their projections. And already there's disagreement between Phil Steele and myself and the Big Ten media. But we're going to go with... Phil Steele's projections here. And so we're going to start with, this is Rutgers and Northwestern. And already, I you know, I feel like Northwestern should probably be flipped with Purdue. But we'll talk about that when we get to Northwestern. First, we're going to talk about Rutgers. Now, Rutgers often is the butt of many jokes. And yet, I, I think this season could be the year that they really do break through to ball eligibility which for for Rutgers would be a a major achievement. I think we forget last year that despite the fact that they finished four and eight, no one really expected them to go four and eight a lot of people expected them to go like two and ten Gavin Gavin wins at was hurt for a number of weeks. A lot of their best players were hurt for a good chunk of the season. And in a program like Rutgers, if you lose your best player, you don't have a lot of depth to, to back it up. So in a lot of ways, even though they went 4-8 and eight last year, they kind of overachieved. I don't think anyone expected them to beat Boston College, although Boston College wasn't great. I think a little people were nervous about Temple, although Temple was not good. And people didn't know about Indiana because Indiana started very well uh, last year. And so they they won four games. And then they were seven points away from being bowl eligible. They lost by one point to Nebraska. They led 13-0 in that game. They were only down six. They lost by six to Michigan State and i think for one other point of reference you know against michigan they got blasted but they led at halftime and you know for them to be able to to do that they were they were up 17-14 at half and granted you might say well michigan slept walked but you know what they've hung tough with michigan for 2 years in a row so you have to remember there there's context i think rutgers for for who they are and for the division they're in, that's, it's a good, there were good things about last season. And so as we talk about best case, worst case, you have one, you have to understand context, but two, you have to understand that while Rutgers is still, I think very much one of the lesser programs in the conference, you might not realize how much they've improved and the, their potential, which uh, part of that is you, you have three teams in your own division that might be three of the f- top five teams in the country. That's how good Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State are. I, I, I really think that aside from maybe, maybe top six, I, I think Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson might be the only three teams that are better than those, those three teams. You know, LSU might have, have a say, but Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, they're all in the top six, top seven, top five. And they're all in the same division. So, like, that's three losses already for Rutgers. Like, and probably double-digit losses. Not because Rutgers is bad, necessarily, but because Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, I I might put them ag- up against any top three of any other conference, including The SEC. They're that good and that talented this year. So that stinks. Plus, you've got, I think, a stacked conference in general. So I I think Rutgers is improving and they're more experienced. So, like, if you look at their roster, Gavin Wimsat comes back. He's a sophomore, he's explosive. He can run, he can throw. He just needs to be more accurate. But he's, again, he's he was a work in progress last year. He was a freshman. Technically, he was a sophomore, but he he was a redshirt freshman last year. 6'3", 220 pounds. I think if he makes a leap, and I, I think there's a lot of evidence to think that he can make a leap forward, this is a dangerous team with a quarterback that can hurt you with his arm and his legs. Like, make, make no mistake about it. From a raw talent perspective, Wimzat is someone you don't want to face when he's on. As, as poor as he threw at times. But remember, he was hurt. And he struggled. He was young. I like the potential of Wimsat. Like, he's a guy that uh, I just wouldn't want to face on any given night. Um I think he he could be that good. Um, they they have a lot of returning starters on the defense. Aaron Lewis, Keontae Hamilton, uh Wesley Bailey on that defensive line. Greg Schiano really, I think, is excited about his defensive line. Uh Mayana Hanatu, he's a senior that's coming in at nose tackle, big guy, 6'4", 295 pounds. You know, they've got they've got some guys there that I think they really like. Aaron Lewis is a third-team Big Ten uh, performer. So, I, you know, you've got some talent there. The linebackers, I think, uh, there's some experience there. Obviously, they need them to take that next step. But they have a lot of experience there. Bailey, Jennings, and, ba- and Powell. Uh, their star, uh, Shaquan Loyal, comes in. Uh, had two starts last year. You know, you have a, and then your entire defensive backfield has starting experience. Longer being Melton and Igbenazin, uh, you know, all have starts under their belts for Rutgers. And then uh, Flip Dixon out of uh, Minnesota, he transfers over from Minnesota, you know, had six starts there. And they've got length uh, in that defensive secondary. You know, Dixon is, is 6'2, 210 pounds. They've got guys and they're maturing, you know, they're, they're juniors and seniors. On, on that defensive side of the ball, they've got everybody's a junior or senior except uh, Shaquan Loyal, who's a sophomore. So that, that's their projected defensive starting lineup. On the offensive side of the ball, Sam Brown comes back. He had one start last year. He was a true freshman last year. Uh, Kalman Ungai is back, who I think underrated running back for them. A lot of their receivers are new, but uh, they're transferring uh, a lot of transfers. Gunnison Bloodgood, who's probably going to be a reserve, he comes in from Moorhead State. Uh, Nassim Brantley, he's a senior, comes in from Western Illinois, Uh, was very productive at Western Illinois. Eight starts, 893 yards. Uh, Chris Long, uh, he comes back, had 200 yards in 12 games last year, so not great, but he has experience with the program. And honestly, nobody did great in that offense last year. So, you know, some new blood at that receiver position. Johnny Langan returns as a senior. You know, good weapon for them. Can can kind of plug in anywhere. It can be a wildcat quarterback for them. Uh, had 296 yards as a receiver last year. And then the offensive line, three returning starters. Uh, Curtis Dunlap is the guy you want to look at. He's a transfer from Minnesota. Had 16 starts under his belt. Uh and then, you know, had 12 starts a year ago at Rutgers. So, you know, he came over from Minnesota in 21, started at Rutgers last year. So a senior, uh, again, two seniors, two juniors, and a sophomore uh, on that offensive line. And they're, they're a big offensive line, all of them over 300 pounds. So they've got size. I, I think they feel really good about their lines. So I think in a lot of ways, I think if the offense can click a little bit, this is a team that I think has a real shot at bowl eligibility. Not like a 2% shot, you know, or a 5% shot. Like everything has to line up. I think there is a, you know, a strong likelihood, not maybe not over 50%, but like a 30 to 40% chance that they're bowl eligible by the end of the season. And then looking at the schedule, I think it's a tough schedule, but it's not it's, – it's manageable. It's manageable. It's the, the, the toughest part about their schedule is they play in the Big Ten East. But you get Northwestern and Temple and Virginia Tech to start the year you go to Michigan, that's hard. Then you get Wagner. Then you go to Wisconsin, who's coming off a bye, that's hard. You get Michigan State at home, also they're off a bye. But Michigan State might be more manageable. And then you go to Indiana. Like, that's that's not a tough... Like, you've got a couple of really tough games in there. But it's also fairly manageable. And then the last the last part of the schedule is just... It's very daunting. So let's let's go through it. What's the, what's the worst case? Let's talk worst case first. You you play Northwestern on a Sunday. Wimzat hasn't progressed as much as we thought he would. Rutgers really struggles to get a feel, and, and and Northwestern really, you know, it's like win one for the Gipper kind of a thing, you know, with everything that's gone on in their program. Northwestern wins, and they win somewhat convincingly, because of the craziness of the schedule. The game's played on a Sunday. Temple is improving, and even though they're hosting Temple, they lose to Temple in a, in a heartbreaker. They lose on a field goal. Then they host Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech is much improved under Brent Pry in his second year, and Virginia Tech beats him by a couple touchdowns. And then they go to Michigan, and they get blasted. No, uh, none of this. Uh, it's close at halftime. Stuff they get, just, they just get trounced. Uh, it, from the word go, it's like fifty-six to seven. They get a reprieve. They play Wagner. They beat Wagner, but it's it's closer than it should be. They win by maybe like ten points, and then they go to Wisconsin, and Wisconsin murders them. They play Michigan State. Michigan State is rejuvenated off the bye, and they they get beat by Michigan State, and then they go to Indiana, and Tom Allen has reinvigorated the troops, and they lose to Indiana. Bye week, play Ohio State, and Ohio State uh, they're coming off two really tough games, but they you know they're they're ready for their annual kind of their annual get well game against Rutgers. They, they, Rutgers has never done well against Ohio State, and so they get blasted by Ohio State. They go to Iowa. They lose to Iowa, and they lose badly, again, to Penn State, and then Maryland. They get Maryland at home, but Rutgers is so beat up that they lose there, and they finish 1-11. and Now, before Rutgers fans turn this off and get upset, a couple things to note here. Do you notice how hard the Big 10 schedule is for them? Their their west crossovers are Wisconsin, Iowa, and Northwestern. Northwestern is tough, or what Northwestern is not that tough, but Iowa and Wisconsin are probably the best two teams in the Big 10 West and are probably going to be top 25 teams. So, even if you go 1 and 11, <laughs> It's like most of these teams are really, really good. You could be a better team than last year and still go 1-11. So that's where I'm getting, you know, the, the worst case is reasonable. But I want to give you a best case that I also think is reasonable. And I'll probably, my projection will probably be somewhere in the middle. I, I'll probably actually aim around f- anywhere from five or six wins, just to give you an insight. Um, I think the best case, they beat Northwestern. They beat them convincingly. They beat Temple convincingly. Uh, they're at home this year, even though they, they only won by two points. Virginia Tech, still not right from where they were a few years ago. And they, you know, Rutgers starts 3-0. And then they battle tough against Michigan for two and a half quarters, and then Michigan pulls away. Michigan's really good. They're not going to beat Michigan. But then they get Wagner in a get-well game, blast them. And then they keep it close against Wisconsin, but Wisconsin pulls away as they run the ball. And then Phil Long goes kind of the, the combination, the aerial attack is just too much for them. They get Michigan State, but Michigan State's a little sleepy from their bye week. And they spring an upset on Michigan State. And then they go to Indiana and they beat Indiana. And they go to the bye week six and two. And that's actually, I think, very reasonable. Like, I think they can beat Michigan State at home. I think they can beat Indiana on the road. I think they can beat Northwestern. I think they can beat Temple. I think they can beat Virginia Tech. And they'll definitely beat Wagner. By week, it gets really hard after that. I think Ohio State at Iowa at Penn State are all losses, even in the best-case scenario. Like, I, if if you told me Iowa was at home, I'd be like, ah, that could work. That could work. Um... Yeah, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's at Iowa and at Penn State. That's EEE. Eh, 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 eh. So, no. Um, but then you get Maryland. And you get Maryland at home. And while I think Maryland is a borderline top 25 team this year, crazier things have happened. Mike Loxley, I, I, you know, I've had a couple people say that they think I'm a little too hard on Loxley. But Loxley's coached some stinkers against lesser teams. And I could see a world where Rutgers kicks a game-winning field goal to go 7-5. and five. And then they go to a bowl game and they get a team that is manageable in a bowl game and they go 8-5. and five. Which... You know, and a lot of this is predicated on Whimsat taking the next step in his development. That he's consistent. That he's a threat in the run game. He's a threat in the pass game. The offense is not abysmal like last year, because I think their defense is good enough to keep them in games if their offense can keep them on the can keep their defense off the field for a little bit. Like their defense, I think is good. I think the offense, if they progress. They will be. I, I think they'll be able to beat some teams uh, that others may not think uh, think is possible. So I'm higher on Rutgers than I thought I would be. I'm certainly higher on Rutgers than I am Northwestern. So Scarlet Knights fans, I think there's real opportunity to be encouraged here. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to get to Northwestern before history is written. It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. We're talking Northwestern, best case, worst case. You know, it's always hard to figure out a team after a major coaching shift and a major shift to the program. I don't know, you know, as we're recording this, I don't know how many players are going to leave the program. I know at least one is already entered the transfer portal um, and that others are probably going to follow. So this is a hard one to do because I think the reality is you could just lose total control of the program and, and the worst case is 0 for 12. And I know people might hear that and be like, well, how how could you say 0 for 12? Like, look at their schedule. Like, they play, they play UTEP. They play Howard. At 1 and 11. Howard, I don't think Howard can win. Um... Although let me let me do a quick spot check here before I definitively say that, but I think th- there's a reality that you lose everything, like you lose absolute control, and then it's just it's down it's downhill from there, and so like even. it's hard to tell with Northwestern, how are they going to respond as a program? The, the reality is if all the coaching stuff aside, if, if Pat Fitzgerald were back and like the coaching staff were intact, I would at least have some faith that things would be a little bit on the up and up. Like, they, they've got returning – uh, I think they have returning talent, right? Like, their tight end Charlie Mangieri is good. They've got some good receivers that are transferring in. I, you know, I always thought A.J. Henning out of Michigan, you know, he, he's not – his stats don't back it up, but you watch him play and you're like, oh, yeah, he, he could be really good. I think Cam Porter is a guy who – You know, right now his yards per carry are not great, but you can see he flashes on the field, right? Anthony Tyus flashes on the field, you know, at the running back position. Um, I think they've got a lot of defensive talent back that David Braun was supposed to kind of help remake. Ben Bryant transfers in from Cincinnati, and, you know, Ben Bryant, I think, played fairly well at uh for the Bearcats. You know, that's that's a pretty good, if I'm honest, an an upgrade, I think, from Brendan Sullivan and Ryan Helensky. As 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 much as I thought Helensky might be good for them, uh, he clearly was, you know, had deficiencies. And so Ben Bryant comes in as at quarterback. Most likely he's gonna be the starter, most likely. But again, there's just so much uncertainty now with Fitzgerald leaving. And and so the reality is this could go one of three ways. It could be an absolute dumpster fire. It it could be like okay where they just kind of tread water. And if they tread water, it's also going to be really bad because they were 1-11 last year. And the best case is they really take to David Braun, they really buy into what he what who he is, they really rally for each other, and even then, like I'm not sure you get to bowl eligibility right because it's not just that like it's not it's not just that they would band together, but then they've got to actually go out and play and. Like maybe there's six wins on the schedule. Like maybe. And I'm not I'm not even sure I can get to six wins. Let me let me do the like the worst case scenario is simple. They lose all their games. And and for those of who are Wildcats fans that are saying, they're playing Howard. That should be an easy win. Listen, Northwestern lost to Miami of Ohio last year. They lost to Southern Illinois. Now, I know Southern Illinois is a a really good FCS team. And Howard is not that. But you're talking about a team that couldn't beat Miami from Ohio last year, and that was with the coaching situation intact. Like, I just don't know what you can expect out of this team. Like, so the worst-case scenario is it's it's Ofer. And I think they're the only team that I, I would confidently say that that's the worst-case scenario, like reasonably. So what's the best-case scenario? I, I think the best-case scenario is you, you start out 2-0, you go two Rutgers, and Wimzat is inconsistent. You bait him into a couple picks, UTEP is still exceedingly, you know, average or below average as a Conference USA team. And they win by, by a touchdown and a field goal. And Ben Bryant is getting comfortable in his role. Man, you know, he's getting things going with A.J. Henning and Manchiri. And, you know, they, they really have things going. They go to Duke and they put up a valiant effort, but they lose to uh, at Duke. I, I just don't think they can beat Duke. I think Duke's too explosive I think it's very possible Duke might upset Clemson this year like I think Duke's legit good it's they're a legit ACC contender this year so like that's tough they go two and one Minnesota is probably beatable it they're at home and they lost a lot like they they lost Ibrahim they lost their backup Trey Potts to Penn State. So I think they could beat Minnesota and they're 3 and 1. They get Penn State at home, they're not beating Penn State. 3 and 2. They beat Howard 4 and 2. Then bye, then a bye week. They could go to Nebraska. Now before everyone's like, "Hey, Northwestern beat Nebraska last year in Ireland. Scott Frost effect." I don't think they're beating Nebraska. At Nebraska. I think they're too talented. I think Matt Rule's too good of a coach. I think I think that drops into four and three. I think Maryland is you know, Maryland's coming off a bye four and four. Iowa, Wrigley Field, Iowa's coming off a bye, oof, four and five. At Wisconsin, I don't think they're beating Wisconsin, even in the best case scenario, four and six. You get you finish with Purdue and at Illinois. I think I think in the worst case scenario you can get both of them. So 6 and 6. But the, the the best the best case like Purdue just never puts it together under Ryan Walter and at Illinois they really feel the losses of uh, DeVito at quarterback, Chase Brown at running back, the defensive backfield. So I think best case scenario for Northwestern is six and six. I would literally, I'd put the odds at like three percent. And that, that's not a scientific measure. It's just, I want, I want Wildcat fans to understand, and Big Ten fans for that matter, between the schedule and the uncertainty and the, the void of talent, this is a... Northwestern has not been left in a very good place, and we have no idea about David Braun. We know he was a good defensive coordinator, but I just I don't have a lot of faith that even if they get it, like say they they coalesce in training camp, they Ben Bryant's a really you know really turns it on, has a great uh, connection with his receivers, the offensive line gels defensive line you defense really solidifies and is is a good unit I still can't see anything better than six and six between because it's not the talent is not great so even if they get all that together you're talking about having to upset some teams and there's just a lot of teams on the schedule like this is not the the toughest big Ten schedule this is why I keep saying the big Ten is the Big Ten's a legit conference this year and has legit quarterbacks too. Like you look at the quarterbacks that he has to face, that, that Northwestern has to face. Gavin, Gavin Wimsatt at Rutgers, uh, Kalia Kamanis at Minnesota, Drew Alar at Penn State, uh, I'm forgetting who it's going to be at Nebraska, but Tungabailoa at Maryland, Cade McNamara at Iowa, Tanner Mordecai at Wisconsin, Hudson Card at Purdue like those are a lot of those names like Wimsat's a, a a work in progress Kaleik Amanas is a work in progress but the, the Minnesota coaches are high on him like you you just have it, it's not your father's big 10 like you actually have a lot of decent to good quarterbacks in this league and if if you've got good quarterbacks and you don't have the talent around it like if you don't have the talent to stop them and you don't if you don't have the talent to score with them you're in trouble so that's why i hate to be the bearer of bad news i just don't think it's a good it's it's looking good for northwestern so 6 and 6 i think is the ceiling but i think i think that's very very tenuous that'll do it for the big 10 football talk podcast make sure to keep locked in as we continue best case worst case and also Keep it locked in for any news on conference expansion. This is Zach Guggenheim. Take care. God bless.